So the, the Lord recently um, gave me a word for this church and it's been building and building and building over the last year, I would say, since I came here. So I'm just going to crack into this word. I've been going to battle recently with this spirit who's been intimidating my gifting and the actual gifting in this body. I have to admit, I'd been having an Elijah cave moment, but I didn't really know what was coming at me because of the craftiness of this spirit until I sought the Lord and was given revelation of the wicked spirit of Jezebel. Over a year ago, like Elijah, I had had this courageous mountaintop moment, except my moment was actually bursting into this church and speaking out from the gift of tongues in Hebrew, Yeshua Messiah Kum. Jesus, Messiah, arise. I received this word from the Lord and was sent out on assignment to this church, this ministry. And in my love for the Lord and my desire to be obedient to him, I walked into this building with no agenda other than to answer his call. I received this word at this time. God was releasing a supernatural oil on those who were seeking him deeply in the secret place, which I had been ferociously doing with so many others in this house. So that was a wonderful time for the body and so exciting to see because it singled a break, it signaled a breakthrough in the spirit. But a year later, how did we go from this mountaintop to the cave? Well, the Bible reveals all because the word of God is alive. It is at work and it is sharper than a double-edged sword. So in 1 Kings, Elijah has supernaturally, by the power of God, defeated 450 prophets of Baal. But then the next minute he's laying in the desert asking for God to kill him. Does anyone do that? They have this giant victory partnering with God. And then the devil comes to darken your door again with another assignment on your family, your finances, your health, your children. And you, like Elijah, flee to the wilderness and you ask God to finish it all for you because you just can't take it. So a man who's defeated 450 prophets of Baal is intimidated. And yet we feel because we have done nothing that big in partnership with God, we get intimidated too. So why was I intimidated? Because coming back to church for me meant to revisit old wounds and leaning on my own understanding meant I thought I needed to be a 60-year-old theologian to understand God and his word on my life. And as for me, I hadn't even read the Bible from start to finish, backwards, frontwards, sideways, and my scripture memory was pretty poor as a returning Christian. In other words, I thought I needed to earn relationship with God. You see, I'd been raised conservative, where those who had authority were the ones that knew his word best. They're the ones that get the platforms in the church. They taught us this from a young age because in Sunday school, it was those who knew the Bible verses the best got the Sunday school prizes. But there was no prize for the one that knew him. You see, God's heart for relationship means that we are saved through knowing him. Those who know and respond to his call are saved. So as a body, we're having this wrestle with the spirit of Jezebel, intimidation. But there's something else. 
And I ask God what we are wrestling against because our battle is not of flesh and blood, but against principalities, against partners and powers of the rulers of evil darkness in the world, against spiritual wickedness. And God reveals this because he wants to. It's the voice of the religious spirit coming for his bride. It is not true religion because the word of God says true religion is caring for orphans, widows and sick. You see, I was born into this battle when my parents stood on one side in the camp of Christian conservative Baptist cessationism. Isn't that a mouthful? And on the other side of this perceived battle were the crazy charismatics with their hand-clapping, tongue-speaking, reckless abandon. So my parents have this moment when I'm eight years old and they move us out to the country, Victoria. We country people like to call this place the Sticks. So my parents, they're really brokenhearted at this time because their heart was for revival. And from participation in religion, all that they could see in front of them was a broken body. So this image of a broken body is so gory that they can't see the kingdom coming. Metaphorically, they're stuck at the foot of his dead and broken body with little hope for what is next. Over time, my father surrendered so deeply to pain and discouragement against the body that demons literally came and possessed him. So much that my siblings, there's one here, and I were badly abused both physically and emotionally, and it was all apparently for God. So we were these five beautiful, shining little kids being literally abused and beaten by the religious spirit. It's true. And yet on Sunday, my dad dressed us up nice. And my mum dressed up nice. They did their best to display this wholeness externally, but inside it was all filthy. What my dad actually needed was deliverance from these demons, but he didn't believe in the ministry of it in the body. After all, we were classical cessationist Christians. For those who haven't stumbled across this word, cessationism is the belief that the Bible is the complete revelation and there's no more ministry of the supernatural to take place. So God moves when he wants to, but he doesn't move through us anymore. That's the idea. So we move into this dilapidated country home. The town I come from is a humble old gold rush town birthed from the 1800s. So at one point, this town filled with gold drew all those who came looking. So a revival is like that. A revival is like gold rushes that have come and gone. It draws hundreds and thousands, and those who come seeking leave not with gold with a revival, but with Jesus. And then this thing happens. The gold just seems to run out. Jesus seems to run out, but he hasn't. So where do we go is the question we ask ourselves. Well, we don't really know. So we erect this museum of what happened and we wait and hope that somehow gold will strike again. So my little town is now so very humble because all the gold is gone. It's all been taken away. And it reduces to a population of less than 600 people. You'd think a town this size made up predominantly of unbelievers would have one, maybe two churches. But no, we had an actual smorgasbord of five. 
well, it wasn't really a smorgasbord, more of a servo bay-marie with some greasy fast food options that didn't really satisfy but allowed you to stay on the road. They were all pretty divided and empty because no one could really agree on anything and in their hearts they harboured hatred towards the brother that thought differently to them. So my parents quickly choose a church and we start fellowshipping at, at this beautiful old cream-coloured chapel in the centre of our small country town. And at this old church, every Sunday, they would ring the bells to let the, the town know that church had begun. It had been a ritual going on for so long. My four siblings and I were the only children that regularly attended, and what life did we bring to this elderly com- congregation? I can still picture the chapel clearly, feel the frosty mornings of chilly Victorian winters on my fingers, hear the elderly women singing beautiful haunting hymns taste those delicious egg and lettuce sandwiches after church, feel the pinch on my cheeks. We had all of these old people to ourselves and we loved it. These saints blessed our lives more than I could have ever known. But the ministry, it was dying. My dad preached sometimes. My parents wanted revival, but we couldn't encounter it because we didn't even have it in our own home. After my parents had burned through a bunch of the churches, we landed at this tiny Pentecostal church with a fellowship of maybe 30 people. And here I had my first taste of sweet, charismatic music. And after a childhood of singing hymnals about him, I was hooked. I was hooked because between the melodic harmonies and the drums, they sang about the sweet intimacy with the Lord. They sang to him like he was a lover of our souls. How racy. The album Shout to the Lord by Hillsong moved me so deeply I began to build a desire to worship the Lord with all of my soul. But yet we stayed close to our seats. Sometimes we stood, sometimes we clapped. I've never ever seen anyone dance so beautifully for the Lord in church like David, like Tanya, the first time I came. This would have implied a lack of self-control. And as for racy music, someone might think you desire the Lord so deeply that you forget to care about what other people think of him and of you. Oh, what a time. Hearing Hillsong was like sweet honey and I tasted his spirit so sweetly through modern worship music. So the worship was beautiful, but behind closed doors, there was an accusatory, slanderous spirit who went against my sweet, honest, Jesus-loving mum and insisted that she can't know Jesus unless she speaks out in tongues. But she couldn't force it to happen because she was honest with God. But this accusatory spirit made her feel like she didn't belong in a Pentecostal church, so we left again. So my parents took us from church to church going further out, looking for deep fellowship with these people, a ministry for revival out in the country. And yet they didn't see revival. We just seemed to get some caught in some web of, of ensnaring gossip, slander or division. And then something happened. I was put off. The religious spirit got to me and I left the church. And yet there was... An accuser in all of this the whole time, infiltrating these churches. It was Satan. Standing in the church, you'd think he wouldn't be able to get a foot in the door with the things that Jesus has declared about us, and yet here he is inside our churches. And he certainly had a foothold in my life. 
So back to the cave moment. (sighs) What do you do when you don't know what to do? You look to your authority, and for me, still warring against this religious spirit, I went to Pastor Joel for advice. So I tell Joel about this prophetic dream I have, and he goes, yes, and amen, and shows some observed excitement. But in his wisdom, he told me, seek the Lord, trust in him, stay rooted in him. That is such wise advice. (laughs) It was such wise advice, but I wasn't satisfied with that answer. Because as much as I liked him, I didn't trust his leadership entirely because I didn't know him. Sorry, Pastor Joe. (laughs) Because in my hunger for more of God, I wanted more right then. I wanted breakthrough then and my heart cried out for more revelation, more. And I got really discouraged when it didn't appear to bear fruit immediately. And in my sin of pride and lack of submission, I opened the door to the enemy. So recently, the Lord has been showing me in my own life how I was still living unsubmitted to my husband in so many ways. So I started going after that sin. Because if I can't submit to my husband, how can I to him? So I began to humble myself by trusting in my husband and in turn trusting the Lord, which helped me trust authority. So I can stand here today or sit here and say in confidence that I really do trust our pastors and their vision. And in my repentance for these things, the Lord began to grieve my heart so deeply for the rebellion of his people, because those who aren't wrapped up all in their own self can actually become wrapped up in him. So I would have cried a thousand tears of deep groaning. And as I cried, he showed me the untrusting heart of our congregation, the unwillingness to submit to our authority to sow into kingdom ministry despite our feeling of lack. And that was really displaying our heart towards God, blocking our ministry. Zooming out, he he showed me the same in the greater body, in not trusting our God-given authority by walking as sons and daughters of the kingdom. And finally, he showed me Israel, the rebellious, unfaithful woman. Israel is still stuck, tilling up the ground already broken. So I'm upset for her. I was so angry at her for getting us in all this mess. But now I actually weep for her because she's like me. Because we've all been guilty of the same rebellion against God through our sin. Israel, I forgive you because I've been forgiven. The last few days, I finally discovered in my seeking for him the breakthrough meaning of my prophetic dream. I had dreamt the symbolism of Hosea 10, 12. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So Hosea's story is about marrying the unfaithful prostitute and God asking Hosea to not give up when she leaves, loving her despite her unfaithfulness. It's a love letter to Israel, and yet it's also a love letter to us as adopted sons and daughters of the kingdom. So I read the verse of Hosea over and over again, and I feel the Lord say this. The biggest revival coming is rooted in love. God for us, 
us for Israel and going after God, not just individually, but with love for each other and with each other. But in our rebellion from him, our pride, our arrogance, our unforgiveness, our lust for worldliness, our mistrust for what the blood has already paid for, we suffer because we are still grieving him like the days after the cross before he had returned to his disciples. They had seen Jesus, heard what he was to do, and they were kind of believing, but yet not fully accepting that he'd already conquered death because they hadn't seen him return yet. And in our grieving, we too have missed a miracle of this gift of being with each other, waiting for his return and going out together, achieving together the great story of his love for the world. This is why we take communion together, because the Lord's desire is to unify his bride, partaking and understanding the love he had through us through his broken body and his death on the cross so that we could all have the eternal life together. Our love for him and each other is why we should preach the gospel, not because we will earn favor with God by winning the most souls. For God so loved the world, the world, not you, not me, although he does love us. He gave his only son and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is John 3.16. It was drilled into me from Sunday school. So here I am now. Realizing the heart of God is revival in so many ways. But unless we break up the hard ground of our hearts, we will not see it. I had a personal revival when Jesus set me free and I can now operate in the supernatural because I partnered with his will. And that's for his bride to break open her hard heart in repentance and be ready for him. So in my own home, I did that with the resources that I had my heart and his word living inside of me. It was not because I had some method, but because I hungered and thirsted for relationship and partnership to the one who made me. I entered into this most beautiful dance, the most beautiful dance that there is, joining with him. And in doing all these things that I thought were so hard, they just became natural. I naturally read the Bible. I naturally prayed. I naturally fasted. I naturally worshipped. Because when you've tasted Jesus, nothing in the world is sweeter. Do you know how I received the gift of tongues, of visions, dreams, and prophecy? I just asked for them in faith. That's it. And Jesus gave them to me because... I wanted to glorify him. And the process to living a supernatural life is actually so simple. Because Jesus is really simple, yet we've complicated him in our religion. It was Jesus who told us to be like children. You know how easily children make friends and they love? Really easy. Thanks. Because their intent is pure. It is to experience connection. 
That's what Jesus wants for us together. That's what he's waiting for. It's really simple. So I pray today for this body and for the greater body that we receive an abundant breakthrough. And most of all, I pray for his will of a first fruit harvest. A harvest of souls who long for Jesus, who come into the understanding of the fullness of what the cross did for us and what his blood means for us. For us, the bride, to step up and reveal our beauty together as a family. Church, arise out of the darkness. Take off the old garments and put on the new. Come to him as sons and daughters together, unified in the Lord's army. We are all marching together towards the kingdom, not individually, not for ourselves, but together as a body. That's what he's waiting for. That's all he's waiting for. That's all he wanted from us. Father God, I just pray today that each heart here is changed, leaves today changed, leaves today hungry for you, leaves today hungry for more relationship with you. But most importantly, God, I pray that each person here has a revelation of what it really means to be a part of the body. I pray for those who have special gifting that they don't even know about, that hasn't even been revealed to the body. I pray that I pray that their gifting is broken open for the body for the greater good of the body. I pray for all the spirits coming against us to leave in the name of Jesus in this house of the Lord. I pray for us to no longer tolerate wickedness and rebellion in the name of Jesus. I pray for a real change. I pray for a real breakthrough. Because that is the heart of God. Amen.